0: Hello and welcome to Price of Football, the podcast that follows the money behind the beautiful game. I'm Kevin Day and he is back. Lecturer in Football Finance at Liverpool University, Kieran Maguire sitting propped up serenely on his daybed and happily able to fit me in between an interview on TalkSport Belgium and a just in case phone call to a certain lady in Russia. <laughs> how, I, how are you feeling, mate? You're all right.
1: I'm, um, I'm, I'm okay. Yeah, sort of six out of ten at present. But we'll, we'll be back. We'll be back irritating, uh, irritating clubs, left, right, and centre as soon as I get a chance.
0: Yeah, that's better than you were on Sunday. You were very much a two out. of 10. Well, when I eventually joined in the WhatsApp conversation, of course, because you sent the message to Guy, our producer, at three in the morning, which was quite incoherent. And then Guy responded at seven, and, and <laughs> I caught up at <laughs> I caught up at half past ten when I got up. And the, sorry, that was the cat just came to make sure you're <laughs> you're okay. The cat's uh, <laughs> the you can't see this at home, uh, viewers. Obviously, unless you're psychic of some sort, but the cat just popped up to say hello to Kieran, and and also she's had a massive argument with two starlings this morning, which she lost. So she's pretending to be big and brave while well, making sure Daddy's around. She's like a toddler. Anyway, that's an unnecessary insight to both our lives here, Kieran, really, isn't it? So, We promised uh, everybody a bumper podcast while you were out of action. Um, uh, And you'll be pleased to to know, I'm sure, all the lovely tweets you you got uh, of concern. Yes, Uh, very uh, kind, actually. Yes, seven I counted. (laughs) Is the the Baroness looking after you, by the way, I hope? uh
1: she is yeah she she uh she, she does look after me in amazing ways she she actually came up uh, with a pair of rubber gloves which got me very excited initially but then i realized they were for medical purposes
0: <laughs> well that's way too much insight now isn't it see the, the little cat story was a charming little bit of insight into my life and now you've ruined it with that um as i say we promised you a bumper podcast um thank you for your patience uh on Monday, uh, I'm sorry we couldn't bring you a pod, but you know, you know the reasons. And um, so we'll get through a couple of Thursday stories, Kieran, and then we'll go back to the questions we were planning to do uh, last weekend because they're very good questions. Now, uh, first of all, news at Premier League clubs, even if the season resumes behind closed doors may still have to repay £340 million to TV broadcasters.
1: Well, I think that's a worst-case scenario uh, if, if football does resume. Right. The, the broadcasters have a contract which is for the Premier League to supply given games on given dates. And they've not given they've not supplied anything for half of March, for the whole of April, and clearly for the whole of May as well. Um so on the basis of that, uh, potentially the, you know, the likes of Sky and BT, they've not been able to sell advertising, they've not been able to collect money from mm. subscribers. So I think everybody's looking um, at the small print of the deal. the The Premier League season is supposed to have ended uh, this weekend. You know this you know, it would have been the traditional Sunday oh, yeah, yeah. final end of season. Um, and it, in theory that's when that's when the contract to a large extent expires in in terms of the delivery of matches um what sky have bought they've they've bought matches during during those individual months they've they've also bought the atmosphere at grounds because right. I, I think one of the things we will find out is is watching matches behind closed doors there's no resemblance to having a full crowd giving it large um because it does add to the the enjoyment of of both uh, of both viewers and and anybody uh, even, even even you talk to players um you know they they will say the crowds do make a difference um so potentially uh, I think the domestic broadcasters will come to some form of arrangement with the Premier League clubs but the overseas broadcasters are, are far more likely to say breach of contract and and we're going to right. uh we're not going to play ball um some have already I think withdrawn the final payments um, and we have to see where we go from here
0: would there not be something in the contract though that covered potential i mean it's unlikely but you 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 could have a very bad weather month for example where you know the grounds are fit to play football but fans simply can't get to them so is that not covered in the in some kind of break of contract i mean obviously this sort of thing isn't going to be predicted but there must surely be leeway somewhere for the broadcasters to understand that sometimes matches can't go ahead I think I think the domestic broadcasters uh, in the form of the Premier League's
1: partners in Sky and BT probably will take a view along those lines but remember these days only around about half of the total broadcasting value comes from uh, selling domestic rights that the Premier League is so successful um, if you are a broadcaster in Thailand or Nigeria or, or South America you might be uh, speaking to your lawyers where, where the Premier League is is part of your overall package and the thing is you're not able to sell uh, you're not able to get subscription money in because 98 sports out of 100 aren't taking place Premier League matches aren't the be-all and the end-all um, in the same extent that uh, you know French football isn't that important to us. So I think those those overseas broadcasters will be trying to find a way out of, of uh, not paying, and you can understand it from their perspective because then if you're not getting money in, how can you pay money out?
0: Now, Andy Holt is the chairman of Accrington Stanley, and as far as his pod is concerned, officially one of the good guys. Um, he tweeted this week, and I quote in full, football clubs below the Premier League have never been at higher risk and for this reason, I'm taking steps to separate the club from its stadium. I'm in detailed talks with lawyers and accountants in order to achieve this. Now, we know because he's a good guy that there's no sinister connotation in this, as it might have been if Steve Dale had tweeted it this time last year. Um, but why? what steps would he be taking? Why is he taking them? And is it right that he's publicised that fact? Um as, as we've seen in, in, in
1: the case of Stadia, you look at Coventry, you, you look at what's happened at Bury um, and so on. Um, they are valuable assets. Um, and if they fall into the wrong hands, it, it could mean bad news for clubs. I, I think what Andy was effectively saying is that by separating the club from the stadium, and I suspect what Andy is going to be doing is to... Put the the stadium into the ownership of of a fans trust or something of that nature, mm. then that the the long term sustainability of the club, the long term future of the club, can be guaranteed to a greater extent. So if Accrington Stanley Football Club fall by the wayside because there's no football taking place for another twelve months, then if the, if the club goes into administration, which you know, hope we hope we hope doesn't happen, but no, none of us want anything of this nature. Um, the person buying it will be buying the football club, but will not be acquiring the rights to the stadium, which they could then potentially use for other purposes. So this does appear to be a protective issue. Um, we, we have seen separation of stadia and clubs before, where the, the ownership of the stadium um, could then be transferred to yet another party, or we find that the stadium could be used for other purposes. I think Andy's intentions are, are different to that.
0: Yes, of course. And, and Accrington, we know, are arguably one of the smallest, if not the smallest club in the, in the, the Football League. Um, but their fans, possibly as a corollary of that, are very invested in the club. We know that there's lots of very good community and fan groups. So if the stadium goes to one of them, I think that's something we would all applaud, wouldn't it? If, it's, specifically if it, it guarantees the safety of the club going ahead. Now, um, you fell ill on Saturday night. And Saturday morning, you were doing what you do best. And so you may not remember this because of how you were, but you, you, in your own words, started a bit of a shitstorm. They were the words you used. I'm, I apologise for the language at home, listeners, but you've already had rubber gloves, so let's, that's a minor thing in in this in this book. So Sunderland. Now, I think I understand why you, why you caused problems with this. But Sunderland's uh, draft accounts were re- revealed or leaked and there was a twenty million pound write off to a company called Madrox. Now, why are people cross, and in particular, why are they cross at you, Kieran? Because they were rather cross at you to the extent that I did wonder whether your illness was a t- tactical withdrawal from the <laughs> from the world of social media. Um, well, at uh, at quarter past six
1: on um, Saturday morning, I, I was contacted by Talksport to say that um, there's a story breaking in relation to Sunderland, um, and any chance you could pop on. So I, I sort of read up on it. Um, I've, I've got to confess, um, I, I was sent a copy of Sunderland's draft accounts on March the 4th. <laughs> and, and, and I've been sitting on it because um, I think it was out of respect of the person who sent it to me. Um, but also what you do tend to find is Sometimes when data is leaked, um, there will be um, there'll be little bombs in it, numbers which are not quite right, and therefore you can trace it back to the person who'd leaked the numbers. So um, I, I had I have been sitting on this for a couple of months and you know waiting to see whether uh, you know journalists who are able to sort of do far more corroboration than I can, um, whether whether they might be able to find some. So this this uh, this story was leaked to or came out in both the Mail and the Times. And uh, Sunderland have new owners. Um, and the, the way that it works is that Sunderland Football Club is effectively owned by a company called Madrox. Um, Madrox, it looks as if they've paid around about £37-38 to Ellis Short, the previous owner. But... Um, it would appear that a significant amount of that has come from the the parachute payments, or was going to effectively funded via Sunderland to Madrox to then pay Mr. Short, and this would have actually come from the parachute payments.
0: Uh, that, that, off the top of my head, that's not right, is it?
1: Yeah, perfectly legal. It is right. Yeah, perfectly legal because ultimately you know, Madrox were buying the club from Mr. Short. Mr Short said I want 37 38 million pounds Madrox say we'll pay this to you not all up front um so what happened was effectively um Sunderland received the parachute payments they appear to have lent the parachute payments to Madrox um and and if, the, if if these stories are true because you know th- these are just you know draft accounts leaked they they could be inaccurate it could be an elaborate ploy for all we know and um, but then then the very strange thing was uh, there's nothing to stop uh, Sunderland lending money to, to madrox and and that then that loan appears to have been written off um and so therefore you say well let's take a look at all the parties involved um Ellis Short the former owner it looks like he's going to get his 37 or 38 million pounds um madrox will have paid that to mr short um will they have paid the loan back to sunderland that doesn't appear to be the case anymore so it, it does appear that the 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 sale proceeds were effectively the the uh the parachute payments were being diverted um to to allow madrox to buy the club and I think I think that's what's upset Sunderland fans. Um, the the local paper, the Echo, then uh, then did a Q and A with the club, and um, the the answers to me were a bit muddled, and they 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 some of the some of the comments seemed to be very contradictory, and, and the only people I could see who were the beneficiaries of this would have been Madrox. So um, yeah, if if we, if we were looking to buy Sunderland Football Club and they are they are up for sale. Yeah, you know, there's 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 I think there's little denying that there has been contact with interested parties. You'd say, well, when I buy the club, what what am I acquiring? I'm acquiring its assets, and you might have thought that one of the assets was in fact uh, a twenty million pound loan, which was due to be received from Madrox, and now that's disappeared. Now, if if you've spotted that as part of your due diligence, that's fine. You know, you'd simply just go and reduce your price by twenty million. Um, Sometimes people just buy things on a whim. You know, you, you know we, we've all done, you know, You know, the you know, I appreciate I don't drink, but uh, my mate Big Dave um, once had an angle grinder turn up at his house because he did three bottles of red the previous night and had bought something on eBay at 2am. You know, And people do buy football clubs on, on a similar basis to this. Um, so therefore you might've bought it expecting to get some of the money back and uh, now you're not. So I think that's upset Sunderland fans. And then... On the Sunderland website, um, they the the club were clearly still irritated, and and the club asked itself five questions to which it gave one word answers, which were yes, no, yes, no, no, or something of that nature. So clearly, there's uh, there's irritation. Um, I, I've I've probably not helped the Sunderland owners here, but I, I, I've got I've got no. Uh, I've got no no axe to grind against them on, on a personal level. Um, I, I think uh, that they are another one of these clubs, and uh, we were talking about this in, in terms of the PFA last week, who have used the Chancellor's uh, benevolence to delay publishing their accounts for a further three months. And, and if you take a look at, therefore, Sunderland have put themselves in, in, in the same gang as Newcastle, as uh, as the PFA... Uh, both of whom have got reasons, perhaps, to not want to show things. Uh, Derby and Sheffield Wednesday, who are both up uh, on charges before the EFL, and, and you know, as uh, as a Greek philosopher said, you, know, you you judge a man by by the company he keeps, and and you, you wouldn't particularly want to be uh, associated with that that group of clubs when yeah you know, they they're they suffer all suffering reputational damage at present.
0: Well, first of all, who hasn't ordered an angle grinder? accidentally at three, apart from you, Kira. I mean, this this country's awash with unneeded angle grinders. frankly. It it, it just strikes me, though, know, I mean, that's a very clear explanation. It strikes me that, well, it should be le- illegal, frankly, because the club clearly seems to have lost money. But just in layman's terms, this is similar to me saying, right, I want to sell my house. I'll give you the money to buy my house. You don't have to pay me the money to buy my house, essentially. Yes. Yeah. Uh, right, okay, well, I, I it, you can understand why if Sunderland fans also had part ownership of my house, they'd be cross about that going on. But I suspect this is something that will carry on for, for, for quite some time. Let's get, let's get to the questions that we couldn't do on uh, Monday's pod, Kieran. Um, they're good questions this time, and I hope you are fighting fit because you'll need you'll need your thinking cap on <laughs> yes. for a couple of them. Um, the first question comes from Neil Condy. Hello, Neil. Um, Neil refers back to, remember we had the conversation about um, Barcelona breaking with tradition, uh, offering a short-term stadium sponsorship deal to raise money to fight COVID in Spain. Um, Neil, the question, first of all, is how much do you think they will get? How much do you think they would reasonably get? Um, And also, again, it's a good question, how much would it be worth to clubs in the Premier League, say, who currently don't have a stadium sponsor? And there aren't many of them, but if somebody wanted to sponsor the uh, football league's oldest football club for example and renamed Sellers Park what what sort of money would they be looking at
1: I, I think stadium naming rights is is one of these things where people start quoting very very big numbers but but in reality it tends to be a lot lower oh, okay in in the case of Barcelona what what they're going to be doing is that they are looking for a long-term sponsor but what but for for 2021, they say, well, we, we want a effectively a a charitable base sponsor, and it would be called the Nike Camp Nou or the you know Megafon Camp Nou. Um, I, I think a lot will depend in terms of the price as to whether or not that stadium is going to be empty or full. Yeah, yeah. Because if I if I was sponsoring it and nobody was nobody was able to go and take their photographs near it and you weren't able to see it full of ninety nine thousand people you know, rampantly supporting their club and and, and the excitement and, and the glamour and the atmosphere that goes with it I, I think the value would would be significantly lower so um, I, I've done some digging round. Um, Manchester City, uh, as far as the Etihad, they had a bundle deal. So it was front of shirt sponsorship with the Etihad. But sort of the figures I've managed to pick up was it was around about two to two and a half million pounds a year. Arsenal in terms of the, Etihad, of, uh, uh, of the Emirates, I, I think it's around about two to three million pounds a year. Um, and, and that's because I'm not quite sure there is a huge advantage to the sponsor itself. You know, what happens if Arsenal have a poor season? Yeah, because then then you then you'd have uh, damage in terms of that, and and also um, if we if we play a game of guess the club, um, the Sands Venue. Okay, so what a club in the EFL is
0: is called the Sands Venue?
1: Any, any idea who? Uh,
0: no, I can tell you that Cheltenham are the Johnny Rocks. But um, which just made me laugh a lot. Basically, who's you can't buy it. I'll have two together in the Johnny Rocks. But no, I don't know who the Sands. Who's well, the, the, the Sands
1: venue is Scunthorpe, and it's named after a Blackpool oh, yes. oh, yeah. uh, nightclub. And um, we've got the Crown Oil Arena. No, again, no, that's Rochdale. The Pirelli.
0: Ah, uh, now the Pirelli is um, Burton. Burton,
1: a- and probably my favourite, the Tony Macaroni Arena.
0: Ah, no, I did know this. Which again, Where's that? It's in the north, isn't it? Well, this is a good game. I like it, but... <laughs> this is Livingstone in Scotland. Oh, right, OK. Well, that is the north, isn't it? Yeah, that is the north, yes. <laughs> it's, sorry, Kate, I mean, it's strange, isn't it? I feel slightly cross now because 12-year-old me would be furious at this because 12-year-old me, like 12-year-old you, knew the names of every single football stadium going down very low down the pyramid, plus their kits and their... also that's annoyed me that I don't know the ground names. But if you ask me again next year, there'll be different names. But I, I was one of those people who thought there was a lot of money in... I mean, particularly we talked about Everton, and it seemed to me that, you know, the the, the naming rights was a big issue. It just it, This might seem like an odd question. Brentford's new stadium, for example, is on the flight path to Heathrow. So millions of people will fly across Brentford's new stadium every day. Would yeah? Would they be able to sell advertising on you know if the stadium was named? It strikes me that that's a very good way of raising money. I mean, are things like that taken into account? Is like if the stadium's next to a motorway, for example, would that add to the value? Um, yes, because if if you if you ever go
1: down the M6, uh, Warsaw's stadium's on the yeah, uh, is on route, um, and and it does have big hoardings outside. So yes, these things, um can they get value? can they get some money for it yes are we talking tens of millions of pounds and i think this is what people are getting excited about the answer is probably no if if you remember we had this discussion a few weeks ago that the premier league had it stopped its own sponsorship because it felt that it could sell the Premier League as a brand um, rather than it being the Barclays Premier League. And similarly, um, when you talk about Anfield, um, you know, if it became the uh, Barclays Bank Anfield, that would mean that other financial services companies, perhaps overseas, wouldn't want to have any involvement with it. So. The clubs tend to look at the whole picture. And, and you know, the, the reason why I gave you and I wasn't, wasn't trying to trip you out with those names, is the fact that because you, you weren't familiar with them, can you see that the actual value
0: is, is pretty insignificant? Yeah, fair point. Um, a question here from Kevin Hope. Uh, and Kevin's actually asking a question I think we all want to know the answer to first. Uh, Kevin says, I'm not sure how far back Kieran's spreadsheets go. Uh, I think some of them may be pre-decimal, though um but it's, this is a really good question actually there's been a lot of comparisons to this particular time. Can Kieran see what the two thousand and eight financial crisis did to clubs income spending wages, etc and was the Premier League even then pretty much immune to it that's I mean that 's a very good question' As a lot of us have been yeah that 's the only comparison we have it 's the worst financial disaster since the bank crash of 2008. So what was the effect back then?
1: Well, um, to, to answer his first question, my, my Premier League spreadsheet goes back to 1992 with the creation of, of the Premier does. League. Um, in terms of individual clubs, uh, for, for my club, it, it goes back to, to when we were formed um, I've got all of the records. I've, I've not got Palace's records going back to 1861. If uh, if Mr. Parrish wants to dig those out, I'm I'm willing to put them um, into Excel for him, though. Um, but as as far as the EFL are concerned, what I, what I did, is I thought I'd, I'd take a look at a couple of clubs that that were around then and compare them to now. So I, I took a look at Ipswich because Ipswich have been a, a hardy perennial of the championship, um, and and there was no noticeable impact to to their income streams. They were the you know, clubs in the championship were actually hit far more mm. by the demise of ITV Digital in two thousand and two two thousand and three. Um, as far as the Premier League was concerned, uh, the Premier League's income went up in two thousand and eight, and and I think this is testament to just how significant those TV deals are. That uh, the the Premier League that year had negotiated the start of a new three year deal with Sky, uh, and they they were reaping the rewards. So, um, I'm sorry, your cat's just walked across the screen. So, I, I will, I'll
0: now get back to being a professional. Smudge. Sorry. Smudge. Thank you. So actually, she, she loves to... She wants to be with daddy. That's, That's what
1: fantastic. you say. So, so, the Premier League income went up. It went up in terms of match day. It went up in terms of commercial sponsorship. And it went up, most of all, in terms of uh, the broadcasting. So, as far as the EFL were concerned, there was no discernible... Uh, decrease um because whilst that that was a that was a, a tough year um I, th- I think it was very much focused upon particular industries and uh it, it wasn't global in the sense of um yeah there's there's going to be no match day income for for 2010 so for 2020 uh, and potentially you know to the end of the
0: 2020-21 season and that will hit the clubs to a far greater extent that's um that's interesting. I wasn't expecting that to be the answer. Funny enough, I was talking to somebody in the horse racing world just a couple of days ago. And we're talking about we're looking for glimmers of hope for football, and of course, uh, horse racing was wiped out for quite some time by the foot and mouth disease. There was no horse racing for a long time, and that, within a year, had sort of fairly much bounced back. So there is there is hope that once this is over, football clubs like the economy will be resilient enough to to spring back into place. Now, Mark Ridley has asked a good question. Hello, Mark. Uh, Mark quite rightly points out that we talk a lot about the TV broadcasting money on this podcast. But how much do radio broadcasters pay for it? Um, BBC and talk Sport share Premier League coverage. Do they share it? Is it per game, per block? Who gets the first pick? And also, uh, uh, you know, if you're a Warsaw fan, you can listen to BBC West Midlands and, and so on and so forth. How much are local clubs getting out of local radio? That sounded very league of gentlemen, didn't it? But you you know what I'm saying,
1: right? Um, well, as as far as the the Premier League are concerned, um, in in a similar way to the, the how they deal with um, TV rights, they they actually break them down into packages. So there's seven packages of uh, d- domestic. Radio rights, of which the BBC have four, which is, if ever you listen to five live, you will see them boasting more Premier League matches than any other station, and TalkSport have the other three. Um, when it comes to the international rights, TalkSport now have all of the international rights for the Premier League, and, and they then effectively sell them on to, to individual countries and their partners. Um, and and in the EFL, TalkSport have the national rights BBC local stations have arrangements with local clubs um, in terms of local rights. Um, Now, I I did speak to um, somebody from one of the local radio stations this morning, and they said, actually, the sum that they pay is effectively a pittance, um, and it it has no significant impact. I've I've tried to dig out the the overall prices paid. Um, The last thing I found was it was around for around about 2005. And I think the BBC in those days were paying around about £4 million a season. Um, the, the Premier League and, and the broadcasters themselves are very coy as to the actual value of the rights.
0: Hi, I'm Steve Lemack
1: and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry.
0: A question from Lucy Williams. Now, to be perfectly honest, the first time I read this question through, it was me that needed to lie down. To yes. be perfectly honest, I it's, suspected as much. It's, it's, it seems quite a technically complicated. It seems like quite a technically complicated question, but I'm, you you will understand it. Now, Lucy's question is um, for a player swap deal. So, e.g., uh, Alexis Sanchez for Henrik Mkhitaryan. What happens to the player book value? For both clubs after the deal so do they put that the value of the player down as what it would have been for his last transfer or is the existing value wiped off and the new player registered at zero um it's it's, in the it's, club it's neither i think in effect it's the
1: equivalent of trading in a car so let, let's say that uh you're buying a car for 25 grand and the the dealer gives you 10 grand for yours um your cash cost is 15, but if somebody said how much did that car cost, you'd say 25 grand. So so as far as the the swap between Mkhitaryan and Sanchez was concerned, um, the, the only issue here is that both clubs said, well, we think both player is worth 20 million quid. And, and therefore, they've both gone into the books at that particular price. I think the way it will have been done is that they will have both agreed a price so that there were no losses going through the accounts on part of the deal. Um, so, you know, it's 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 messy. It 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 is accounting geekery, um, and it gives clubs an opportunity to make sure that they don't they don't lose out as far as the trade is concerned.
0: Okay, Lucy, I hope that answers the question. I I did sort of drift off halfway through the answer. I'm, I'm not going to lie, but there you go. Um, Jamie Moss has asked us a question. Uh, thank you, Jamie. Hello. Uh, again, Jamie said we've talked about or you've talked about in particular possibly binning the Carabao Cup in future seasons due to European fixture congestion. Um, Jamie's question is, why could it not be maintained as a source of income for the teams that are not playing in Europe, i.e. the rest of us, or would that be pointless without the glamour of the teams playing in Europe? And also, I'd like to add on, and I I apologise to the person who tweeted me with this question. For some reason, I couldn't find it, and I I can't give your name, but it, it was a similar question. But what he said was, would it not be more sensible to bin... The FA Cup, if you're going to lose any tournament, why not lose the FA Cup, which is very complicated because it starts in July and it's every club in the country, whereas the Carabao Cup is quite simply the clubs in the football league, which struck me as a, a very good point.
1: Yep. So, so let, let's deal with those um, in turn. Um, we, we could have a, a- Cup competition, which doesn't involve the clubs in Europe, and, and if you go back to the glory days of the Zenith Data Systems Trophy, uh, yeah, um, which we yeah, won, yeah. that 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 work, it, it didn't tend to generate big crowds. um I, I think the problem that would exist to an even greater extent than we have potentially at present is that the larger clubs. Wouldn't give it, and when I by the larger clubs, I mean the non-big six, the non-European competition participating clubs in the Premier League. Um, They they don't take the FA Cup seriously, where the 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 winners get four million pounds. They don't take the Carabao Cup seriously, where the winners get a hundred grand. So would they take? another competition seriously and also remember we've also got the checker trade Trade trophy where the lower league clubs effectively play against the the under 23 teams of clubs from the premier league um and and the prize for that is is 100 grand so certainly from the perspective of the lower league clubs um i think it will be useful to have some form of cup competition because if, if you talk to club owners every night the, the the club every day the club is open for business is, is another chance to generate income um, but I, I don't think it will be I don't think it'll be, be a big big earner. Um, in respect of the second question, um, have the Carabao Cup instead of uh, the FA Cup I, for next season, I think that makes a lot of logic because there there is no point in returning to the national league. And the clubs yeah. below, if they can't play before a paying audience, because they they've got to pay the players. But equally, um, and there's a meeting taking place today. And today is Wednesday, for we're recording this for Thursday. It could be that by the end mm. of today, that leagues one and two will have been cancelled, because there is a there is a, a meeting taking place, and certainly the noises that are coming out from a, from a lot of clubs is the the costs of hotels, the costs of physically putting yeah. on the matches, and also the costs of testing players in the lower leagues will exceed the money coming in. We're already living off fumes. We, we can't afford it. Um, and then sort yeah, sort out the promotion and the relegation nonsense later. I, I don't give a damn. You know, I, I want Accrington Stanley and Walsall and Grimsby versus Morecambe to be taking place at some point in the future <laughs> especially as we have been offered by a number of people to take us to Grimsby versus Morecambe. um so so that's the most important thing sort, sort out relegation and promotion as a separate issue you know be grown ups about it um but the existence and the survival of clubs surely should take priority
0: well you're quite right and I agree wholeheartedly but you and I don't support a team that is currently third in in league 1 or league 2 which so you know, your your view on these things is coloured by your position in the league, basically, isn't it? As we've seen with clubs at the bottom of the Premier League. But you, you are absolutely right. But my guess is as well that when football does get back next season or the season after, League One, League Two clubs will fight tooth and nail against removing any sort of competition, FA Cup, uh, Carabao Cup, because that will be some form of income at least, won't it?
1: Yes, yes. I, I mean, I, th- I think in terms of the Carabao Cup, the the changes to the Champions League uh, are due to arrive in 2024-25. So by all means, it, it might be able to carry on. Um, but if we've got an expanded Premier League next season, and, and that's another issue which is yep. causing aggravation at present, because what the bottom clubs in the Premier League are saying, and I'm not taking a view on this, is that if we have to complete our fixture card, and play 38 games and get relegated or, or, or not relegated on the basis of that, that's fine. But at the same time, there's the potential for for Leeds and West Brom to be promoted, yeah. having paid 36 out of 46 games. So yeah, yeah, yeah. there's there's an inconsistency there, yeah. and, and I think there has yeah. to be communication um, and, and people to start to act like grown ups. You know, I'm often asked why why do people behave the way they do in terms of football club ownership? The vast majority of them are good. Why we can't just have a rule, which is the same as the New Zealand all-black rule of no dickheads, and, yeah. and that would get rid of all of these problems,
0: you know, is, is beyond me. Well, yeah, it's, it's like the end of that famous classic Simpsons episode where Bart gets an elephant who misbehaves, and at the end, Marge asks, when he gets taken back to the safari park, Marge asks this long, complicated question about why some elephants misbehave, and the, the ranger's answer pretty much is that, because some elephants are dickheads, basically. Um, uh, now, we've got two questions left. The first one is from John Cowley. Now, I don't know what John Cowley does, but if anybody sounds like an accountant, it's John Cowley, doesn't it? That's a good, strong, honest name. You'd trust John Cowley, wouldn't you? John Cowley and Co, I think. And co- absolutely. Yeah, John Cowley and, and family. Yeah, John's question, and it's a good, strong accounting question as well. Um, harking back to your comments and filed a few weeks ago... Um, and I'll refer you back to my previous comments about drifting off.
1: <laughs> I,
0: I, I'm, not, I'm not a football finance expert. One of the reasons this pod works is because as each pod finishes, I forget everything you've told me. So next time we do a podcast, it all comes fresh and new. So you might have to remind me what you said about filed But John's question is Is this. What is a taxman's view on allowing sponsorship by a company against tax when owning club is clearly more of a hobby than it is a viable commercial proposition? So... In other words you've got a rich businessman he wants to own his local club they're not going to make any money how can he claim money against the tax man in that situation
1: right um i'm, I'm not a tax man myself but i i uh i did my research on this spoke to spoke to a friendly tax inspector of mine um you can only have uh, sponsorship allowed so you you uh, we could pay a million pounds to filed as sponsorship and that's fine the club receives the money that's not illegal. Um, does the sponsor get some tax benefits from that? You have it has to be if uh, if if the sponsor's business is being promoted by filed. If the purpose of the sponsorship is wholly and exclusively business related, and if the benefit of the sponsorship is wholly and exclusively business related. Now, if the if the sponsor can prove that to the tax man, they'll say okay. My experience of dealing with the tax authorities is is that goes back to our previous conversation don't be a dickhead just don't don't try pushing it um and they've always been very reasonable so you know you you're a, you're a freelancer you'll be able to claim certain expenses johnny numbers will say well this is what we consider to be reasonable and you say well you know could we claim a bit more and johnny will probably turn around and say well we could but why why do that you know why upset the tax man because then they might decide to investigate to a much greater degree so it's it's a case of just being sensible, being fair, um, and then the the sponsorship might work.
0: Yeah, we actually had uh, my hairline has stopped rec- stopped receding about ten years ago, a year after it started receding, which I was lucky in that in that extent. But we I remember having a seriously conversation with my uh, accountant, who has his Bobby Numbers, as we know, not Johnny Numbers, but. Because he every year he just says oh, we'll put another quid on that that's fine. I said we well, can't with a haircut, Surely, I'm, 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 in all honesty, he says he Kev they're not going to come round and chat. I said I know, but I'm, I'm on TV yeah, but so yes, but you're right. Don't take the piss. That's always been his match. Don't take the piss essentially, but which for an accountant doesn't look good on the poster in the window. But there you are. It's, it's, I've told him to change the poster, but he's basically <laughs> don't take now. The last question is um, from Dave Baccarini. Now if John Cowley sounds like an accountant. Dave Baccarini sounds like a local villain, basically. I'm sure he's a lovely bloke, but, you know, if you went in the cafe and went and see one of the Baccarini boys has been up, you you wouldn't be surprised to hear that Dave Baccarini was one of them. And I read on, and and I I may be right, because, Kieran, I've just listened to your latest podcast, and we have a bit in common. (laughs) You said you were from The Elephant, right? So, yeah, I stand by my comments. Um, Well, Dave was born and bred in the borough. Now, for people from outside London, or from out I know we have listeners all over the world, the borough isn't a London way of saying the hood. It is, it is a place. There's a place called the borough, which is just down the road from the elephant. Um, but then Dave goes on to say, Dave clearly escaped from his terrible criminal working class roots. Uh, Dave's a university lecturer in Australia. But his question is, Kieran, why are you not a mural fan like he is? Because he supports his local team. Now, it's a very good question but as we know this opens a can of worms because you can lay claim to supporting quite a few teams within the pyramid and outside I believe but yeah yeah I think it's worth repeating again for people who haven't listened to us from day one on this pod yeah, why are you a um fan? well uh I-,
1: I was born in the Elephant and Castle um I I was born in a house which was my my grandmother, who was a, a lavatory attendant at the Imperial War Museum in London, that's where I grew up. I, I spent, I spent my, I, I could, I could name every single battle uh, because I, I, was, <laughs> I, was, I knew the place inside out. Uh, and I lived with my uncle Terry, who was a Millwall fan. So if, if I'd stayed there, I think I would have grown up to a Millwall fan. My uncle Tone, who was a West Ham fan, who now supports Palace because he actually lives around the corner from you. So, um, oh. and my uncle Tom, who had trials for both Millwall and Charlton. So it was a big football family, black, black sheep wow. of the family, black sheep of the family, my old man, didn't like football. So I know. So, wow. um, we, we moved to Chelmsford, uh, because, you know, typical immigrant Irish family. There's an awful lot of you in a little bit of space. We moved to Chelmsford in 68, 69. And so I started foot, sporting football. So, um, I just, I just always support my local club, um, and I suspect if I'd stayed in the Elephant longer, uh, my, my mum wouldn't have wouldn't let me go at the age of six to watch Millwall with my with my naughty uncle Terry. <laughs> uh, so that's that's why I'm I'm not a Millwall fan.
0: Well, that raises several things, there, uh, Kieran. First of all, I'm, I'm pleased to hear your grandma's a lavatory attendant, but if we're going to start playing prolier than now. I can trump you on that, but well, that's, that's that's yeah. We're going to expose our working class potential. We'll do that for another pod. And secondly, I think you fundamentally misunderstood the concept of supporting your local team. You support your first local. You don't support the team you, that is local to you. There'd be chaos if everyone just started supporting a team that you can go to them by all means. But you should you support your local team. Secondly, as a proud Londoner, it distresses me that a man from the elephant. Now has lived so long outside London that he refers to it as Elephant and Castle. It's a castle, my <laughs> man. It's not Elephant and Castle. It's, it's you know, your, your pearly king and queen antecedents would be clog dancing in their graves to hear you say things like that.
1: Well, that's that's, that's a fair comment. But uh, I mean, I I I, start, I started supporting Brighton because when I was able to go to effectively to football by myself. Same, so, you know, my old man, you know, he he was a fisherman. He wasn't he wasn't a football fan. You know, going back to sort of one one of the reasons why we do love the game. Um, he was diagnosed with cancer in the eighties. He was dying, and the last thing we did to, did together is dad and lad. He said, "Right, I want to go to a football match with you because it means so much to you." Aww. And yeah, you know, we we went to what two matches? Peterborough away, FA Cup fifth round, <laughs> drew two two. Six rounds against uh, Southampton. So he's been to a home game and away game, and he said, "I want to live in your world." Just so you got something to memorise me by, and, and that's what oh. football's about, Kevin. Yeah, and you know, I think we, you know, we're all united on that. Um and, and then he died shortly after. But I've got those memories of football with my old man in terms of supporting Brighton, and, and that means a lot.
0: As you know, normally, Kieran, I make it my uh, my life's ambition to uh, follow everything you say with a little witty aphorism, but. In the circumstances, I don't think that's appropriate to be perfectly honest. But I, I, I echo everything you say in terms of the sentiment of football. And just the mere fact that Dave Baccarini is sitting at home in Australia as a Millwall fan, listening to us talk about football here, is one of the things that, uh, again, fills me with joy about uh, our beautiful game and reminds me so much why we we miss it. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for being uh, well again, Kieran. Uh, we're all very pleased that you're back um if you like the price of football a guy has obviously missed me saying this um or he wants to please the sponsors i don't know if you like the price of football why not subscribe to us in your podcast app and leave us a review or rating i might say that again for the edit more sincerely if you like the price of football why not subscribe to us in your podcast app and leave us a review or rating um and again I've been, people have moaned about the way i pronounce Dapdip because there's been a thread on Twitter about what I'm actually saying. So The Price of Football is a Dap Dip production. (laughs) If you have questions for us, then uh, the the address you want is questions at com. We'll be back on Monday with more questions. Hope you have a safe weekend. Kieran, continue to get well soon. I'm really pleased to see you. Okay, love
1: to all look after yourselves, boys and girls. The Price of Football.
0: I sent football.